Sunday of the month, so this is a Sunday where our kids stay with us and hang out with us and keep you awake and alert, um, which is to your benefit. Um, and again, the primary reason why we do that is so that uh, our kids would look around and see moms and dads and other people uh, worshiping God and uh, begin to grasp and understand what that looks like. We're actually calling them up to something. Um, what does it look like to worship the Lord together with a church family? Again, we still think time is valuable to teach things on uh, their level as well, but this is a unique Sunday uh, in a sense. It's a chance for them to, to sit with us. So if we can kind of catch each other up, we've been going through uh, a series in 1 John, and this is the last week I'm going to do this as far as just asking you questions and looking for you to kind of give some feedback um, we, we really just some con- context, things that are important, all right? Before we do that, maybe while you're turning to First John, it's right towards the end of the Bible, um, let me pray, and you can keep turning if you are, that's fine. God, thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the hope that is founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, as we just spend a few moments looking to your word, we pray that you would... Uh, not allow us to settle into just this kind of routine, rote thought or motion, but God, I pray that you would uh, take your word and, and resonate it and stir it deep within us. That we may see you in a new way, perhaps, or understand you at a deeper level and see the beauty of the gospel in a grander way. In your name, amen. So very quickly... Who wrote 1 John? Thank you. John the Apostle, right? More specifically, right? John the Beloved, one of the disciples of Jesus. Okay, what did John do? What was kind of his primary job after Jesus ascended ascended to heaven? He was a pastor. What? He was a Christian. Good, that's a good answer. That was what identified him, right? And he was a pastor. He loved people, he loved the gospel, and he sought to proclaim it. Who did he write this to? The church, believers, just loosely. We don't know exactly who it was written to. We don't know uh, if it was a certain group of people living in a certain area. We just know that he wrote with a heart of more of a pastor's heart to a group of people. What are the three themes that exist throughout the writing here in 1 John? Without looking back at your notes. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> True doctrine, obedient living, fervent devotion. And we're going to see those themes continuing to be woven through and woven out John's writings here, right? Two weeks ago, we spent time looking at John's comparison of light and darkness, life Light representing life with Christ, darkness representing life without Christ. And his point simply was this, that light and darkness do not and cannot and should not coexist. That if we call ourselves in Christ, we're calling ourselves Christians, we cannot also then walk in darkness. I mean, we cannot use sin as this palatable existence of our lives. But, but when we're shown the light, when we're walking the light, then darkness shouldn't be present. Last week we talked about just simply walking as Jesus walked. We look at Jesus' life and we see that, that he was obediently walking as God would instruct him. 
In obedience, Jesus lived his life in a way that was to bring God glory. When we're to walk as Jesus walks and live as Jesus lives, it means knowing and understanding who he is. It means knowing uh, his greatness and his glory and how good and right he is in all of his ways. Um, To do that, you actually have to know what he says, though. And so I think that perhaps we just create this confused church culture that says, look, go to church, be good people, call yourself a Christian or whatever, um, and then do what you want. But the scripture is pretty clear, right, that if you love me, Jesus says, you will what? Obey me. Obey my commands. It's pretty hard to obey his commands if you never know what they are. Right? That makes sense. I can't get frustrated with my kids if I've never taught them the right way to do something, and then they do it the wrong way. How can you get upset with that? They don't know. And ignorance, on one hand, is bliss for most of us in a lot of our situations and circumstances. But I would say this, that if you're calling yourself a Christian today, your greatest endeavor ought to be to bring God glory. And it's really hard to do that when you have no idea what God says would bring him glory. We're called to be obedient. So last week, we put out in front of you um, just a simple resource and tool. And there should be some more in the back. We make more copies. But just a reading plan, a five-day reading plan. Just work it through your your own system of of quiet time. If you don't have one, use this to start it. This one starts in January. Who cares? Just look at week one. Start tomorrow. Join me. I'm going to start this tomorrow. I got my own things I do, but I'm going to abandon all those and begin this tomorrow. So I would encourage you to pick one of these up. Again, if there's not enough in the back, we can make some copies. And tomorrow, plan on reading reading Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Read Psalm 19 and Mark 1. It won't take you long. The weekends are not, uh, there's not reading designed for the weekends, but that doesn't mean just sleep and do nothing. The hope is that that time is spent reflecting back over the week. And so I'm not going to say you have to journal. Um, That might just not be how you're wired, but I know for me, I have to write something down or else it just doesn't stick in my brain, I'll be honest with you. Just I'm on to my next thing. Do whatever it takes that you might know God's commands. Then you can walk as he walked. Today we're, we're moving through 1 John chapter 2, and I know if you read the church email, it said chapter 2, verses 7 to 17. We're only going to go to verses 14, because I didn't think you wanted to be here for three hours today. And as I kept going through things, I realized that if I preached all the way through to 17, we'd be here for a lot longer. So we're going to look at this morning, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 14 together. It says this, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother in the darkness is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, 
and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John uh, now continues on, I think, in the theme of what does it look like to practically live the life that Jesus calls us to. I think John is full of practical application, and here is one more step in that. And I think if you've uh, claimed to be a Christian and you've walked with Jesus for a while, this is something you try to understand more and more, hopefully. Right? What does it actually look like to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to apply him into our lives? Like, did the church of 1980 have it better figured out where you, you made sure that you came in your Sunday best with your tie on and your dress and Easter came along and you bought big hats for some reason, right? Was that it? Like, did they have a better inclination of what it meant to, to live the way that Jesus calls us to? Flannel graphs, right? You remember flannel graphs and Jesus was in a floating cloud and the flannel graph, maybe you don't remember that, but that's just me, but, right? Maybe they had it right. Does it look like the mega churches we see on TV, stadiums packed full of people, Right? Hands lifted high, big scale things being done, cities being changed in a moment through the writing of a check and the the motivation of uh, mission-driven people. Does it look like the secret church that meets quietly in homes, underground, across repressed countries, perhaps fearful yet very faithful and diligent to honor the Lord? Does it look like you and me? Fairly common, fairly normal people trying to to do life together, coming together in hopes to follow after Jesus. See, I think one of the challenges is kind of laying out even those potential things that it could be what it looks like to follow Jesus. Did they have it right? Do they have it right? Do they have it right? The problem is this, or hurdle is this, that there are so many voices that want to speak into your life and speak into my life of what it means to follow Christ every day. There's a lot of noise. I mean, if you just scroll through social, social media, someone's going to spout off about something, reference a Bible verse. Are they right? Seems convicting. Are new books going to come out and challenge us in our way we're thinking through? Are they right? right? There are countless books, podcasts, blogs, news reports, political slants, so-called preachers and churches. Everyone has something to say. And just when it seems like we think we've, we've caught on to something, like that person we're trying to track with, we're beginning to follow, we think, man, that, that sounds right. That sounds like maybe what the Bible talks about when Jesus says, follow me. All, right, all of a sudden, a scandal happens. And all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know if I can trust that person anymore. I'm not sure if, if they even know Jesus, because now it seems like they're talking the opposite about once they once talked about when they declare the gospel as the only way and truth and life, and then everything seems to fall apart. So what do we do? Like, what do you and I do, very practically speaking, when it comes to understanding what it looks like to readily and practically follow Jesus? I think it begins with very simply, we must return to the Scriptures. Like, we have to go back to what does the Scripture say? Like, I don't care how big someone's ministry is. I don't, I'm not concerned about how many books they have published. What do the Scriptures say? And listen, those things aren't all bad. Okay, I'm not trying to paint a good and bad light here. 
But what I am saying is, like, I recognize there are challenges to trying to discern of what it looks like to practically live Jesus. The Scriptures have a ton to tell us. It's relevant. It's truthful. The Bible is willing to say very hard things and speak into very difficult places. And this is just what John is doing here now. Listen again to verse 7. He says this, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. That which you had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word that you heard. So look, if you know nothing else about John, right, we don't know exactly who he's writing to, here's what you can start to figure out. He starts out with what? Beloved. If you were to flip back to chapter 2, verse 1, he says what? My little children. At the very least, what you can discern right now is that John has a heart for these people. Like, like John's goal here, his motivation, is out of a love for them, a heart of compassion, and a desire to see them succeed in following Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, listen, I care about you. This is something you need to know. This is something you should understand. And in case you once forgot it, let me remind you again today. Like there's temptation, I think there was then for these guys, and temptation for us to think, man, we just, we get it, we get it, we get it. But yet so much of our life doesn't reflect Jesus. See, the reality is that Jesus calls for all of our lives. That's hard. It's not just the comfortable things that are easy to give over. Like, I, I can be generous. That, that makes sense. Like, I can throw a bucket at somebody at a stoplight. That, that seems pretty palatable. That, that might be true, but Jesus, right, doesn't say that he just wants your dollar. He says he's a giver of all good gifts. Like if we recognize that God is supplier of all things, then all that money that we get is really a blessing from the Lord. And he calls us to use it well and to be wise with it and steward it well and use it for his glory. Now it gets a little bit harder. Like now it starts to speak into the, the deeper things of our lives. Listen again to verses 9 through 11. It says this, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blindfolded his eyes. So we, don't, again, don't have a background. We don't know if this is something that they're openly struggling with here. If his writers are, or his audience is kind of moving away from a characteristic of love and moving more towards a, uh, an attitude consumed with hate. But we know this, that, that John again reminds us here that love is to be a primary marker of the follower of Jesus Christ. This is what, at the very least, you can begin to pick up again, that thematic piece Right? Remember, John wrote John 3, 16, right? for God so loved the world. Right? John, we'll talk about later on in John 13, love is the thematic characteristic of the follower of Jesus. And you're, so you're here and you're saying, well, I mean, this talks about loving and hating. I don't hate anybody. And Jesus presses into that, right? Man, he, he gets to the heart level of it, doesn't he? Do you remember the Gospels at all? Right? He talks about murder. Right? 
It's also about killing people. And you're sitting there like, I've never killed somebody. Jesus says, um, look, if you've thought about this hatred deep-seated in you towards somebody else, it's as if you did. Or Jesus is trying to boil it all down to the heart level. And I think that's what John's getting at here today. That he wants to boil it down to the very deep-seated heart level. John references this, this old commandment. It's likely what he's referencing here is instruction given to God's people long ago. He says, this is an old commandment, but then it's a new one. And that old commandment references way back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So when John says he's not writing here a new commandment, what he's implying is, look, you've heard this before. You've heard this before. This is nothing new in terms of a commandment. He is writing with an understanding that the person listening to his writing knows Jesus, knows about Jesus, knows the law, and knows the commands. And they ought to know that to love Jesus and to follow Jesus is to love him with everything you have, and then to wholeheartedly love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if you've been in church, right, this context, I'm going to say for more than five years, of overarching history of your life, you are who John is talking to right now. And so when you begin to think, look, I, I, I remember, I know it, love your neighbor as yourself, blah, 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 I get it. You are who John is talking to right now. These would have been commandments well deep-seated in any Jewish culture. There would have been expectations that these were memorized early on and then flushed out. So when we begin to think, like, I get it, I know it, I understand it. Thanks for reminding me, Pastor Nate. Let's, I mean, I'm hungry. Let's get moving here. You and I am exactly who needs to listen in this moment. John says this is not, right, just the old, but this is now a new commandment. And why would he write that? Because these two commands, loving God, loving your neighbor, were both affirmed in Jesus himself and affirmed in his teachings. Listen to Matthew 22. We're going to look at more verses today than we typically do, but they'll, they'll be on the screen. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. says, But when the Pharisees heard that he, meaning Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So track that. A lawyer comes to them. Someone who's well-versed in arguments Someone who thinks, okay, when they say this, my response will be this. But if they go this way, I'll respond this way. A lawyer is someone who processes out, looks at the evidence, understands the argument. The goal of the lawyer is to understand your argument better than you understand your argument, and then to poke the holes in it. And so the Pharisees say, look, 
let's ask this guy. He's going to ask some really good questions. He says, teacher, I think it's somewhat sarcastic, just so you know. Teacher, you're so smart. What's the greatest command? She says, actually, it's twofold. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at, not only did Jesus affirm these two teachings, but Jesus fully lived this way. Jesus walked in these commands. He showed what it looked like to honor these commands, to love God and to love others in real and practical ways. See, Jesus was and is the perfect fulfillment of this. He lived his life in a manner that seemed radical to so many people. And he actually was the example, I believe, of how we are indeed supposed to live. See, Jesus, Jesus lived his life on earth daily with a love and a heart and obedience to God, his heavenly Father. Jesus' life was completely committed to loving God the Father, to honoring him, to keeping his commands and instructions. And he was committed to doing it in the most authentic and real way that he possibly could. That he, he, this is Jesus, okay? This is God in the flesh, right? God the Son on earth, often in the Gospels, he disappears. And where does he go? Where does Jesus often go off to by himself? To do what? To pray. He goes to pray, to, to commune with God the Father again. And we don't always know what he's praying about, but my guess is that God would give him wisdom and direct him and strengthen him so that he would be obedient to God the Father's leading. So when John said this is a new command, what he's saying is, look, this was, again, affirmed and proven possible through Jesus. And then certainly the most sacrificial way that he loved his neighbor was to go to the cross to give his life so that his neighbor or, or anyone who would trust in Jesus for their salvation alone, would be saved. Jesus showed the most practical reality of what loving your neighbor actually looks like when the rubber meets the road. Right? You remember, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friend. Jesus put it on the line there. But yet he also then also showed it in practical, real ways. Not just this way that you and I are like, well, that's, I mean, Jesus died on the cross, so I don't have to. That's really hard for me to, I don't know what that translates to me. Look, Jesus shared meals with people. He healed people. He taught them. He cried with them. We have to think he laughed with them. Why did he do all those things? Simply because he loved them. Like, Jesus' life was ultimately a response to what a love for humanity looked like. That like was stemmed out of a love with God the Father. So I think John's entire point here is that love for each other is direct evidence that we are walking in the light. John is constantly using comparison language. Light and darkness, love and hate. He's going to keep doing it throughout the entire writing here. John says, look, you must walk in the light. You must love and not hate. This is not a tolerance thing. I can tolerate a lot of people. That's not what it means to love people. 
this is not a charity thing. I can be charitable to people. Like, I can give you a charity laugh at a joke that's not that funny, right? Or I can listen longer than I really want to listen. That's just being charitable. That's not what John's talking about. He is talking about an authentic compassion and love for individuals. That the body of Christ is to have love as the primary marker. And you heard this before if you ever read through the Gospel of John. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new commandment, this is Jesus talking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, if you've been here, and I'm going to say just in the last six months, we keep coming back to this, both, both as a thematic kind of overarching piece of our local church, but it seems to be that God keeps bringing this up in his word, that we're to love and genuinely love one another. Listen, so this is not complex. Like this actually doesn't say go and love, right, your uh, checkout person at the Hannaford or Market Basket or wherever you shop. This is way simpler than that. This love is for what? It says the brother, right? Or we could insert sister here. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother or sister right, is still in darkness. This is not familial. Like this is not my brother Josh or Matt, my sister Corey, right? This is in the church family. John here is not saying, look, I want you to go and love extravagantly someone you've never met, at least not yet. But what he's saying is, look, within the body of Christ, love has got to be the identifying marker that your life's been changed by the gospel. And so if you are sitting there right now saying, I don't know what that means, I don't think that's me, and you have got to confess that before the Lord. I'm not going to give you a list of, this is what it looks like to love people. Because you've got different personalities than me. You've got different interests, different tolerances. Maybe you're way more charitable than I am in conversations. But love must be the primary marker that we exhibit to each other. Look, what does love do, man? It, it bears heavy burdens with people. I'm not there yet, but I, I've watched parents have to figure out how to walk alongside a kid that wants nothing to do with them personally and definitely not with their God. I can remember we were living in northern Maine, just this family that's, that's great. They love Jesus really well, and they're really committed to the gospel going to the ends of the earth, just telling us stories about how their oldest son and we're just like he wouldn't even just get in the car. Like he just like like we're it's time to go home. Nope, I'm not going with you. And just listening to really these heart wrenching stories, right, uh, of these families that are trying to figure out how do I walk in love with my own family? They want what's best for them. They believe they know what's best for them. But this son had had wanted nothing to do with them in that moment. 
But here's what I know didn't happen. They never once wiped their hands and said, you're on your own. And why not? Because they understood that the average 17-year-old doesn't have a full grasp of life. They understood the average 17-year-old may think they know what's best, but there's probably they don't. And I think it's through uh, this couple's just uh, willingness to be gracious and patient and go talk to police when this kid gets in trouble and hold them accountable for their life choices and to pray and to pray and to pray for them was part of what brought this child back towards Jesus. And authentic love moves us to action. It has to. And authentic love for each other moves us to a deeper understanding, for a yearning to belong and to understand and to, to understand what someone's going through and, and to not think, well, I'm just going to pray for you, but how can we kind of walk through these people with that, that situation in that moment? Genuine love has to be present in our lives. And I also believe that this is a maturity marker. This is why the local church is drastically important. The local church is an opportunity to practically walk out this command. It's an opportunity to walk out every command, but specifically this command when it comes to loving our brother and loving our sister in Christ. The local church is the primary place that we're going to do that. See, I think that that we're at St. Street, we're trying to set the table of opportunity for you. To not only uh, get to know people, but then also to practically work out this command that God gives us. We believe that Sunday morning worship is important. We believe that gospel communities are important. We believe that women's studies and men's studies are important. We believe that days serving together are important. We believe that times praying together are important. And why are they important? Because they create opportunity for you and for me to obediently walk and live in light, as John calls us to. Light cannot be in darkness. Our lives are to overflow with the love for each other, and I do believe that that then does overflow into our communities, into our families, into our neighbors. And we see this perfectly marked out because God lavishly and graciously overflowed his love to us in Jesus Christ. We love, why? Because he first loved us. We can only truly love in the way that Jesus did and John calls us to hear because Christ loved us when we are at our worst. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and I can't even tell you the reference, to be honest with you, but it says that just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what does that communicate? Some huge truths. That Jesus' coming to earth was perfect timing. It's perfect. And his mission was absolutely perfect and on point, and he fulfilled it completely to die for the ungodly, for you and for me, that we can be restored in relation with God the Father, and we can be united to each other through the gospel of Jesus Christ and love each other. After all this, John continues on in this portion of of his writing to what seems like various reminders to groups of people. You heard things like little children, young men, and fathers. And my leaning to understanding is this. 
little children really just means broadly all of John's readers. Fathers would be those who are just older believers. They're older followers of Jesus. They've been doing this thing for a while. And young men is just these newer followers of Jesus. And it's reminders to all of them, right? So to everybody, your sins are forgiven. Right? He says, I'm writing to you, verse 12, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I have reminded all of you, hey, don't forget, your sins have been forgiven. So even when you don't love other people well, that too, when we confess and repent, is forgiven. And the weird reality is there's no need for last rites. So if you'd never confessed that, if your life, right, you never said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I was a jerk today. If you never said that, but in your heart of hearts, you know, and God is working and you're striving, right, and eventually you're pressing away from that, man, God is quick to forgive. He says, little children, Listen, your sins are forgiven. Because of that, you know the Father. You know God the Father. Because your sins are forgiven, you've been restored. He says to these maybe less mature believers, look, remember, Satan does not have a grasp on you. Because of your faith in Jesus, Jesus had conquered Satan's power. Remember, Christ and Satan are not equal. They're not. Do you remember the story of Job? He went to God, and God says, look, if you consider Job, you can do anything you want to him, you just can't kill him. Like, God gave him permission to do that. See, in Christ, John reminds us, look, you're strong. God's word abides in you. It's taken up residence within you. Therefore, live in this way. Don't return to darkness. To mature believers, he says, look, you know him who is from the beginning. Meaning you know that, that God is transcending all time, and that God who created all is still faithful to you today. You understand the glory and the power of God the Father. You know his great grace was poured upon you through Jesus Christ, and you know all that he's done to you. So live in love. I think, and we'll wrap up with this, that looking at these reminders of just those people groups there, that you and I need to evaluate our lives. Listen, are you tossed very easily, kind of to and fro by the ways of life? Do you struggle with trusting God in a moment's whim? Is the struggle of loving someone else, especially someone who has wronged you, a hard idea to fathom? then perhaps you need to be reminded this morning the evil one has been overcome and you are strong because God's word abides in you. If that's you, if you feel like your emotion just gets the better of you, like, oh, maybe next time I'll get after it better. Look, you potentially just subjecting yourself to be defeated. Look, that is not your posture before God and Jesus Christ. You are not defeated. You are whole, and you are made new, and you are established and rooted. So live that way. And there's temptation for you to think that you can't possibly love somebody else. Look at that thought is not of God. When you think someone else has 
is so far beyond your realm of consciousness and understanding how could I possibly just be nice to them. That is not a thought of God. I believe that is a thought that Satan wants you to have, and his desire is to just kind of see thought, hatred and anger and frustration, so that darkness will be part of your life. Look, that is not what God calls you to. This is not who we're called to be. That is not the life of Christ that, that God desires for you. Listen, it's exhausting to be hatred, to be haters towards other people. It's exhausting to be angry towards others. It's exhausting to not be able to forgive somebody else. It will drain you. And it's not the life that Jesus calls you to. He calls you to forgive. And you can do that. You can forgive because you've been forgiven much in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you can forgive on your own strength and your own muscle and your own desire. In fact, I think the exact opposite. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? <laughs> Let me just translate that for you. Your emotions are not your best friend all the time. So when you're like, I, I can't possibly forgive, I can't possibly work past, I can't possibly man, just be nice anymore. You can. Because you have a Heavenly Father who loved you and sent His Son for you so that you can be forgiven and you too can forgive. Look, cling to the truth over the emotion. I'm not, I'm going to stretch here, I'm not saying you to be best friends with everybody. But within the family of God, we're called to love each other. How do we live out this new commandment that John places in front of us today? Practically, look, I'll say it over and over till you fire me. You've got to press Jesus into every part of your life. You cannot withhold Jesus from any part of your being. And neither can I. I've got to let Jesus get into the cracks and the crevices of places that are impatient with people. Like I was driving home from Bridgewater south of Boston last night. There are some not-so-fantastic drivers around the Boston area I discovered. Man, and my instant re response was, what an idiot. But even that, right, that actually probably, if I took a lot of time to think about it, comes from like a deep-seatedness of arrogance that I'm somehow a better driver than they are. And there's, honestly, it's inconsequential. Right? So that probably doesn't matter. I'll never see that person, and I, I'm just going to keep going on my trip on the way home. But my greater concern, if I really unpack this, is that do I have an attitude that's just kind of existing, underlying, that I'm better at everybody else, or that everything else compared to everybody else? Like, does that philosophy of I'm a better driver than you, right, so I'm better than you, exist in other places of my life that I'm not even aware? It's like a blind spot in my life. And I don't consciously think it, but somehow it reveals itself through driving? Maybe. That's allowing Jesus to, to kind of get into the hard places. That's what it means 
to allow him and the gospel to work itself out, to let Jesus, to ask for more and more of Jesus, ask that God would help more and more of Jesus be reflective in your life. And then track out how he leads you. Like This is just practical application for you today. Ask Jesus to reveal the place in your life that you're withholding from him, and then track out opportunities that God gives you to love other people. Just simply put, make a meal for somebody, send a text, write a card. What are simple acts of love and kindness that God would put right in front of you? I don't know if you need to pray about that, but maybe if you feel like you need to, then pray about it and then follow through on it. I really should call my mom and just see how she's doing. I probably should. There's some truth in that. I'll do it tomorrow. I, I really should, should, just, you know, should just go see how my neighbor's doing. Oh, I'm busy right now. They're, they're probably, you know what? They're probably busy. They worked all day. They, don't, they, they definitely don't want to hear it. Never mind. I, I, was, I would put in front of you, maybe that's the Lord compelling you. He's given an actual opportunity for you to practically walk out what it looks like to love other people authentically. You want me to give you a practical way to do that? Get your shovel out tomorrow. And go shovel out somebody. Just help them. And you don't even have to know them. No one's going to say, no, 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 I like this. I like shoveling by myself. Please go. They may decline because they feel awkward about it. Like, no, no, I, I love just give you a hand. Simple, practical ways, not only within the church family, but then reflective outside of the church family. Listen, we'll, we'll finish with this. I think I said that 20 minutes ago. All right, we'll finish with this. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You struggle with loving other people. This is where you begin. Trust in the Lord. Blesses the man or woman who trusts in the Lord. He and she is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots to the stream that does not fear when the heat comes. It's not anxious in the year of drought. It does not cease to bear fruit. Trust in the Lord. When you do, you will be like a tree planted by the water. That's a great picture, isn't it? Like that root that goes deep down to find that water because he knows that's where the source of life is. And in that source, there is no fear, there is no anxiousness, there's no fear of even death or struggle. But that person remains healthy and whole because they're rooted and connected to Jesus. So today, trust in him. Live for his glory. Love those around you. Live in the light and follow the new command as Jesus showed us how. Let's pray. God, thank you for just your word this morning. That reminds us and calls us to again, uh, to be rooted and founded in you. To be established in the light. But does not leave it at a, pra- just this kind of 
head knowledge, but God, you show us here today what it practically looks like to live with Jesus, and that's love. To love people as you love them. Father, help us be obedient to you today. In your name, amen.